0: From the founders of Mod Racing and the Northwest Rally Association, this is the Motorsport and Driver Development Show. My name is Keto Brunmeyer, and with Katie Lobkovich, who is my partner in all things, we have built the fastest growing rally program in the US. Through our work, we get to meet incredible people, and this show is all about bringing those people to you to share their wisdom, experience, and guidance. Whether you're curious about what it takes to start racing, or you want to get advice from the best on how to improve, each episode will have something for you. Today, we are talking to accomplished driver and co-founder of Lone Star Rallycross, Brianne Korn. Brianne and I know each other from National Rallycross Competition, but as you'll learn in this episode, she has way more experience under her belt. From her mindset to her discipline and commitment, you're definitely going to walk away with some great info after this show. Thank you for tuning in. You can follow along with our race series on Instagram or Facebook at MODD Racing or you can find us online at modracing.com. Now let's get to it.
1: Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. I'm Katie. I'm Keto. And today we are joined by Brianne Corn, who I'm not even going to try and introduce. I'm going to let her do it herself. Brian, please tell everyone who you
2: are, where you're from, and what you do. I'm Brian Korn. I live in, technically, I guess I live in Maxwell, Texas. And I actually live at uh, Lone Star Rallycross. And I have a shop here, and we work on Subarus and Miatas and almost anything else, apparently. Uh, we, uh, we do some private driver training here, and we, uh, prepare some some cars and uh we have our own rallycross series and uh we have a small fleet of rental cars and uh that's the other thing i forgot to tell you about um we do have rentals so i have six cars now three miatas and three subarus and i'm trying to get up to where i have 10 matching subarus so we can do like corporate events and things like that and so and i do a couple other things i have uh a uh, small photography business and I've shopped for Hot Rod magazine and stuff like that.
1: So, And so we know you from the Rallycross world, I think, right? right? Yes. Okay. We know you from the Rallycross world, but you have done many other things besides that. How did you even get into racing? Like what was your first foray? Well, my, golly, it goes kind of back to
2: like 15 years ago in Italy in the summer of 2004. Uh, and I had a moment in the mountains in a rental car with my friends and I kind of kind of I call it my epiphany and I said well if you won the lottery and I have to go back and say that I kind of for a long time thought that that My family not having any money was the reason I didn't get to do any of the things I like to do and then one day I figured out that I was the reason and I uh, <laughs> And, uh, and so I asked myself if I won the lottery, I could do anything. And I, I decided I, that that answer was that I would be a rally driver. And I said, well, screw the lottery, figure out how to do it. And so when I got home from Italy, I looked into it and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of expensive. And then I always um, kind of tried to live by the mantra that um, the opportunity favors the prepared and so I so well, how can I start driving any way I can, even though I don't have any money? And I started doing autocross and convinced my brother to do it in his car, in his Honda Del Sol. Uh, and so that's how it all started. And I did a couple of autocross driving schools and bought a Mini Cooper, and then I was off to the races. So
0: when you were dual driving with your brother, were you beating him?
2: Uh, he beat me the first three races. And then it took him about 11 years to beat me again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow. Was the, were those uh, first three races motivating for you to uh, beat him for the next 11 years?
2: No, no. I mean, I, if he was, if he was beating me, I don't think that I would have, you know, I wanted to just wanted to be the best that I could be. And right. if someone else was beating me, then I, I probably wasn't being the best I could be. You know, I, uh, I just tried to do everything that I could. And, Um, you know, he used to get a little upset that I would beat him. And I'm like, well, you know, you just show up and you're pretty much as fast as me. And I've like put my whole life into this and, you know, so maybe you should be nicer to yourself.
1: (laughs) Were you practicing when you weren't racing?
2: Um, I think the statute of limitations has passed on that. So I can say yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay
2: so this is a don't try this at home moment don't try this at home moment um yeah the the mini cooper was driven like a race car every time the motor started uh it was a beautiful beautiful car and uh the the warranty was 50,000 miles and i sold it with 50,001 miles
0: so how did you transition to dirt
2: well that's where i wanted to go i mean that was the ultimate end game and um Somewhere in there, I bought a $400 Impreza off of Craigslist, and it was an automatic sedan, and I brought it home, and I stripped it down, and I did the liquid nitrogen, and I was started buying Subarus off of Craigslist that were broken, and then I'd fix them, and I'd keep all the little race car parts, and I'd make them stock and sell them for more money, and then all the little race car parts went on my rally car, and I guess it took me about... So it was 04 and then 11 plus, so like 20, the very, very end of 2010, I finished the car and I raced, was in my first rally in hundred acre wood in 2011. And, um, so and then I was a stage car. I built a stage car because oh. there was no rally cross. I didn't even know rally cross existed. And years later, I found out that the last rally cross in Texas happened almost at the exact same time I started doing I started autocross oh. and so it's like we were two ships in the night we just completely passed and never saw each other
1: so um, did your brother co-drive for you
2: no I got a, a co-driver that had gone to is it Ken Blot's co-driver It's Alex uh, he'd gone to a co-driver school at Tim O'Neill's place oh. and was a local in Texas and I forget how we connected probably through one of one of the forums. Man, it's been so long since I've been on a forum I don't remember what they are anymore. Okay. It's one of the early rally forums and we connected to that and then he was my co-driver for everything. Oh, and wow. um, he was with me in Hundred Acre Wood and um, he went with me to WRC Mexico and everything. Did you race
1: WRC Mexico?
2: I did. You did? Yes, in my in my homemade $6,000 Impreza. What? When was this? 2012. They were piggybacking on the Rally Mexico local rally. And so they had a class called Rally America. And you could come show up with your rule book and they would check you to your rule book. That was super interesting. It was a lot of fun. Probably one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life.
0: That is, that's pretty but awesome. Yeah, I pulled
2: I, got pull, I pulled. up onto the little platter and it rotates you around as they introduced you and it was all live on national television in Mexico. And so like all week long people would like come up to me at restaurants and say, oh, I saw you on TV, we're big fans, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and you could just sign up. Yeah, you could just sign up, show up. We uh, literally drove from here to Mexico with a race car in the trailer and drove all the way down to Leon. Wow! But it was weird because the tracking system we had to do a seven thousand dollar deposit for their tracking system that they mount mm-hmm. in the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was funny because the tracking system was worth more than my car.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you got to return it and get your deposit back, you were probably like,
2: "Okay." Yes, Jason. <laughs> Jason, my boyfriend at the time, was very happy to get his deposit back. <laughs>
1: Mark did not pay that yourself. That is so cool. Do you want a chance to brag about the results? Like, did you do great? Well, um, I mean.
0: He was first in class.
2: <laughs> I, was, I was winning my class until, Uh-oh. Um, and that was where my rally car died. And mm-hmm. there was about a 70 mile an hour uh, somersault and ripped all its arms and legs off. Oh. And um, so, yeah, but it was really, really fun. And Did if you, you if it? you actually Google Brie and Corn Mexico, it's like a fifteen second clip. And then make sure you listen at the very end, and you hear what I say. And I would like to think that um that it would be a um, a good way to describe me, you oh, know, um, okay. and maybe even an
1: epitaph at some point. Okay. Yeah. Oh, speaking of epitaphs, I actually think your memoir should be titled "It All Started When I Bought a Four Hundred Dollar Subaru Off of Craigslist."
0: For real? <laughs> wow. Oh man. Okay. So, did did the car ever make it back from Mexico, or did you just leave it?
1: No, no, it's here. It's sitting out in the out in the okay. field oh, waiting. Oh, oh man, that's um, awesome. Okay, so we're talking a lot about cars. What about motorcycles?
2: Well, motorcycles was my first love. Probably when I started all this, I, I actually raced Pikes Peak twice on a motorcycle mm-hmm. uh, before I took a car up because it was cheaper. I wanted to go before they paved it. So it was really important to me to do Pikes Peak. So it was still half dirt. And so I'm like, well, I have this motorcycle. And my friend was up there crewing and he called me. He's like, you should be here. You could totally, you should totally do this. And so I was there the next year with my motorcycle was, 16 years older than the next oldest motorcycle in my class. They almost, it? it was an XR 600R, okay. like a '91 XR 600R that I completely built myself, so that I would know what to do with it, and um, that was a um, that was a lot of fun. That that was my first wheel-to-wheel motorcycle race ever. Was Pikes Peak. I'm sorry. That's wheel to
1: wheel.
0: Well, if you catch the, it, from...
2: it was no, no. When I did it, they started you five at a time, like a drag wow. race.
0: Oh. And
2: they painted a little white box and the flagman was this like 85 year old guy. And he'd been doing it since the beginning. And he would, he would step, he had to be in the box when he waved the flag. So he'd step into the box and out of the box and into the box and try to catch, make sure nobody like tried to, get the jump and then he'd step in the box and leave the flag and everybody would take off. And so you could be elbow to elbow fighting for line going up Pike's Peak. Wow.
0: Yeah. So when, by the time you got to the unpaved area, was it still sort of handlebar to handlebar wheel to wheel? Not,
2: not for me on my motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
2: I did get to start next to uh, Malcolm Smith. And he won, I think the first 10 Baja 1000s on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. and so he was in his 70s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and I were right next to each other in the dirt or on the paved part. And then you go to dirt and then you go back to pave. So it was kind of back and forth. But mm-hmm. when we hit the dirt, he just checked out and left me. Oh. And um, it was beautiful to watch. <laughs> wow, That is so cool. So scary.
0: you've also done Bonneville on a motorcycle.
2: Yes, yeah, so I did Bonneville uh, in a Lakester, in a 600 horsepower Lakester, trying to go 200 miles an hour mm-hmm. and broke an axle going 165. And so then the car left and we were hanging out and somebody said, hey, we heard on the radio someone needs a rider for his, his motorcycle. And um, so we walked over. And he's like, Yeah, I'll be back at six o'clock in the morning. And I went out and set a record the next morning, came out and backed it up and did it on my mom's birthday. So I got to, you know, world record for you and your birthday, mom.
0: So, what kind of motorcycle and what was the record?
2: <laughs> the record was 88 miles an hour. Okay. Uh-huh. And it was on a 1948 blown gas, partially. Dreamlined vintage, 500cc. So it was a 1948 Triumph, and it technically it had actually been ridden by Burt Monroe, who was the world's fastest Indian mm-hmm. in the 60s. Um, the guy that owned Isky Cams, it was his motorcycle, and he would let him borrow it to ride run errands in L.A.
0: Interesting, really. Okay. Yeah.
2: So oh. it was super weird. I had everything was borrowed except for my helmet, borrowed gloves, borrowed suit, borrowed boots, borrowed bike and uh just
1: standing there available and uh it was pretty cool that is so cool i would like to take a moment and ask you if there's anything you're afraid of just generally in life spider i think i know you like spiders but i have seen you handle a bee before so i would like to know where your fear threshold is that's
0: a good question
2: <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure. Um, okay. I I um, I worked through a lot of them. So I mean, I, yes. I I guess probably my my one fear that I that I had to like actually resolve uh, was fear heights. Mm. And so at church camp one summer, I was on a 600 foot cliff, and <laughs> I got so mad at myself because i was like 20 feet from the cliff, and I'm just shaking and I don't want nothing to do with it. And I just got super mad and I took my shoes and socks off and I marched over to the side and I curled my toes over the edge of the cliff and I stared there and stared down at the ground below until I stopped shaking and then I was fine. And that was more or less how I've confronted most of my fears. Um, Okay,
1: let's circle back to Rallycross. You said you mentioned you were like ships in the night And Rallycross ended right when you kind of got into racing. Are you responsible for bringing Rallycross back in Texas? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Did you just like hear that it existed and you're like, oh, I should bring that back.
2: Well, I wanted to do Global Rallycross when it came. And there was an almost sponsored ride with Honda and GRC and... They had a car in Colorado and I even went to Colorado and got test fit to the car and they were building the car to fit me and and it just all kind of the person putting together um just didn't quite put it together so they even took me to the Indy race in Dallas and I met Simon Paginaw and hung out in the Honda trailer with them because he was supposed to be my teammate and uh and it just didn't happen and um, I have a lot of those. It almost happened, but didn't happen stories. Mm-hmm. And um, I designed my track to be a practice track for that. Mm-hmm. And so, and at the time, you had to drive. You know, Hundred Acre Wood was the closest rally. And I um, I just wanted to do this, and so I started building the track, and I started a little Facebook page, and all of a sudden, people started gathering on, and then. One day, this guy's like, "Can I put on a race there?" And I'm like, "I hadn't really thought of that, but okay." And so we did that for a little while, and and then we had some disagreements over what, what value of my time was, and uh, we parted ways. And then Kevin, my brother, stepped up and took it, and he ordered all the timing equipment, and he made it. I mean, I was that whole adventure kind of. I had a depressive moment, or mm. four, and my brother kind of carried it. And it would have died right there if he hadn't picked it up. Yeah. So, mm. But now he's he's working. He does movie stuff. He does special effects for movies. Cool. He, work, he worked on Alita. He worked on Fear of the Walking Dead. He's working on a Amazon show now. And and so now my world has kind of come full circle. And I'm probably in the best place I've been in my entire adult life. Nice. And um, and so I have all. I'm here. I quit a job of 17 years, and I've been doing this full time for two years now. And on my time on the tractor and on the grader on the track is probably my some of my most precious time. I call it's my meditation. And actually, I call it a zen a zen garden for race cars.
1: Oh, it totally is.
0: (laughs) So, do you spend more time on the tractor or in a race car?
2: Oh, way more time on the tractor, <laughs> way, way, way. And I, and I'm. It's so important to me that the surface is good when we have a race, and it's nice for everybody. And I, I want any car to be able to show up, and run, and not not be damaged. And so, um, like I won't even drive on my own track. Like I've been home here. My track is 50 yards that way, and I've only done two laps on it in four or five five weeks or more. Um I don't wanna tear it up. I don't want to tear it up. And so I'm getting it all groomed and super perfect. So the first race we do when the world comes back to normal, so it's gonna be so nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <gasps> you know, I have to pull keto off the tractor sometimes before a race because he's the same and I'll be like, "Oh, it's good we gotta go eat dinner, like we gotta oh, go yeah. No, and
2: everybody knows when it when I'm tractoring and people want to like can we go to dinner I'm like dark plus 30 minutes (laughs) (laughs) that's all you gotta
1: know yeah when the Sun goes down I'll get off the tractor so why is the hardest thing for you about running rallycross organizing it
2: oh the weather absolutely 110% weather 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 weather
1: Wait, but you guys have way different weather problems than we do. What are the things that cause you heartache?
2: We have, we have droughts which cause dust storms and silt beds 18 inches deep. And we have floods that create gorges and gullies. And um, But part of the last year and a half, I have um, kind of evolved my, my track grooming philosophy. And now we don't hold water anymore, and um, I'm doing a lot of earth moving to uh, further aid and and being able to have all weather events. Mm -hmm. So the the ultimate goal is to have the track set up so that no matter what, we can run rain or shine. Mm -hmm. And um, but yeah, weather for me, weather is the hardest thing, the one that breaks my heart more than any other
1: yeah we feel you on that i run our timing so i end up sitting out in the rain and so i'm not even worried about the track i'm worried about myself i'm gonna melt
2: <laughs> well we have um
1: i i i have um a
2: 1985 volkswagen westphalia camper oh, van yeah and that's our timing booth oh nice uh, okay. so everybody sits they sit on the couch with the table until so they can see everything and um and so all the timings run from inside this little
1: volkswagen van Nice. I want a Westphalia. Then should get one. <laughs> so you have instructed at our events when we do driver training in cooperation with a race. Uh-huh. And we have gotten some of the best feedback about your style of instruction, the things people have learned from you. I want to know, like, what are you channeling when you get in the car with someone and you're trying to just instill a little bit of something in them? What are you channeling? What are you trying to get in their head?
2: What I want to get, what I'm trying to get into their head is for them to get out of their head. I think, um, well, it depends. Like I try to, I try to figure out, it depends on what I, what I get a feel from my student. Like I try to take everyone individually. And so I I find that that really, really intelligent people have a really hard time being in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my work with someone like that is trying to get them to, to be in the moment do all of your, your real deep contemplation in front of and behind it, and then just be there, but also be in control. You know, then you have people that are super emotional. And so then you're maybe trying to get them to be a little less in the moment. Um, but if everything, the, 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 the root of everything is for someone to feel comfortable and feel like they're in a place where they're not going to get hurt. And they're not going to um, be made to feel like they've done something stupid,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, because everyone that's ever driven a car, some point didn't know how to do it. You know, it, everyone had to learn sometime, and um, and nobody was um, calling a cray out of the box. You know, really just trying to make sure that everyone feels really comfortable and know that I'm not going to judge you on any level, you know, like it's okay. It's ace. We're probably in your car. So, (laughs) uh, and in most of the environments that we're in, uh, we're never doing anything that where I feel like my, my personal self is in any kind of jeopardy. And, um, and with those two things out of the way, it's just all about making people comfortable Mm -hmm. and then understanding that, that where you think the limit is, that's, that's not it it's way way out there and there's a whole bunch of good um, life metaphors there Um, you know when I when I started autocrossing I'd go out and I'd drive I'd make a lap and I'd come in I'm like you couldn't do better than that and then I go I always made sure I rode with all the fastest people and I always watch the fastest people and um, and I'd go ride with someone and I come back and like oh okay I have some work to do, you know,
1: <laughs>
2: and then you'd start figuring out what the difference was and, and try to try to make it up.
0: So, so you had one piece of advice for, that's not like that was a lot of advice for newer drivers, but like a more advanced driver and you had some advice to give them. Well, what would you say generally speaking?
2: I mean, probably the look ahead is probably still, um, I mean, if we're talking about Rallycross Pacific, uh, I'd say that the one thing that most people don't do is, is course memorization. Mm-hmm. And, um, and not only when I'm in a, in a, in a very serious environment, if I'm on a national level environment, I'm, I'm not just memorizing the course, I'm memorizing where I want to be looking at each point on the course. Mm-hmm. Cause I memorize my look ahead points
0: mm-hmm. and
2: um, in uh, an autocross school, we call them uh, key cones. No. And so, there's just a handful of cones that really mean anything on mm-hmm. on, a, on an autocross or rallycross course, and the rest are just kind of there to confuse you. And mm-hmm. um, and so those those would probably be the main ones. Some people have a have a really hard time with the red mist mm-hmm. and and being calm. And so with those people, I might. Like I would do, um, some breathing techniques was, was what I do before I pull out onto a run. I'll stop. And I I just do a single breath in, out, eyes closed. All right. I'm centered. I'm here. Let's go. And, um, and I've already memorized the course. I know where I'm going to look. I've got a pretty good idea where my, where all my breaking and shifting points are going to be for the most part. I kind of let those things find themselves, but, um, I concentrate on where I want it, the car to be and what angle I want it pointed at any given point and where I am putting my eyes.
0: Mm. And so how many course walks does it take for you to uh, find all of those key cones, and all those shift points, all that sort of stuff?
2: Well, I mean, I've got 15 years of doing this, so um, I, uh, you know... Four to six course walks if I can get them you know a lot of times the 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 event organization doesn't let that happen uh, just to get everyone in Uh, but when I went to autocross nationals for the first time you know I probably walked that course two dozen times you know at at 11 o'clock at night the security came and made me leave you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you
1: got this weirdo out here just walking around.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, i was looking at the course of the flashlight. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah.
1: I have kind of a tactical question, which may be dumb, but it might be helpful to people. If you're identifying those key cones and your look-ahead points, what are you saying or telling yourself in your brain so that when you're going fast, that same cone pops out to you? Do you say like, oh, key cone one, key cone two? What are you saying? Now-
2: I just I, I don't. There's no voices in my head, but uh, I just kind of have. Like at each point, I know when I'm here, I want to just take a second or a millisecond and look at that cone and come back. I don't have to stare at it. I just have to glance at it, and then your brain will. Yeah. Will do all of the necessary geometry, to mm-hmm. fill it in, and then trusting yourself. Probably at the end of the day, trusting yourself is
1: one of the best pieces of advice Mm -hmm. and so did you learn all this just by doing or did you um have a mentor i did
2: um three of the evolution performance driving schools that travels with the autocross series Mm -hmm. and um and then there's a, a gentleman named andy hollis uh who's um many times national champion and um One of the people that I, if I was in the same place, and he was in a car driving, and I could watch him drive, I drove, I watched, I would climb to the top of the tallest whatever I could get on when he pulled up the line, and I'd watch him, and he used to get so mad at me because I would follow him on his course walks, and he was so sweet in that he didn't, like, just turn around and tell me to stop following him. Like, one day, he told a story about how annoying it was you could hear people's feet shuffling behind you while you're course walking and made sure that I could hear him tell the story. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, and so I, I, I followed from much further behind after that. And then, um, uh, and then I started co-driving with Tommy Saunders in the really crazy car called the dragon. And he was, he was a huge, he was probably the one, the one single person that taught me more than anyone else as a driver. And, um, and I felt like that was the day I finally beat him uh, was, that was my graduation, I guess, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it was, cause the deal was I had to run in the ladies class the first year. And if I won, then maybe I might get to race an open class the next year. And there was a lot of conversation about, I was uh, in my like my fourth or fifth autocross this guy rode with me and he's like, it's like, go too far, overdrive. And you can't do this in rally cross. It doesn't work. But in autocross, there's a reward for this. He's like, overdrive the car, like go too fast, too hard, and then start bringing it back. And that way you could get up to speed faster than if you're always nibbling from the bottom, you may never find a hundred percent. If you find 105 and then you can kind of whittle back. Hmm. And if, Everyone's followed all the rules and the safety guidelines. You're probably not going to hurt yourself or anyone else, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I was still that kind of driver when I got in Tommy's car and he's like, you can't do that. And if you want to drive my car, you have to, you have to be calmer. And so I had to drive bottom up. And even though I knew I could be a faster driver faster, if I kept driving from the top down, but I also knew that if I drove from the bottom up for that year, that it, I would be a better driver. And so, yeah, the first national race after after that year, um, I was in Houston, and I set the fastest lap of the event and beat Tommy for the first time and beat his co-driver who got out of his car, smashed his helmet on the ground and threw it in the trash and said he'd quit because I beat him. Really? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Okay, but um, he got over it. He came back. He got over it. We're friends. Yeah.
0: So you're saying the guy's emotional?
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe. Hey, maybe. maybe, maybe, maybe. Oh man! So you have done all different kinds of racing. You have gone at it from a bunch of different angles. If somebody is interested, let's use rally as an example. If they want to get into rally, what is one? Thing you would tell them either to do or to do first? It's interesting because autocross gets a bad rap. Okay.
2: And it is the only motorsports environment where you, it is both safe and rewarding to drive 11 tents. Mm. And if you want to know where the edge is, mm. there's nowhere else that rewards that or gives you a safe environment to do. it. You can't go to track day. Can't go to the Formula One track and do that. You hit a wall, it's $500 a foot in and you're banned for life maybe, you know. Um if you do rally cross and you mow down a whole bunch of cones over and over again and you're at the back of the pack, it doesn't matter, you don't get a hero run to save the day. Mm-hmm. So there's no reward there. Um the other thing that uh, I think that the autocross does is it teaches you how how unbelievably important distance is. Mm-hmm. So you know getting really close to those cones and, and driving the shortest possible line. Uh, is huge, and I think it had, that kind of background had everything to do with how well I did when I went to Hundred Wood, because you may be able to go flying around the corner sideways and not crash your car, but if you don't understand how important it is to be a, an inch or two away from the apex of the corner and not a foot or three, yeah. uh-huh. uh, and then over, if you look at, um, in the autocross, they'll say that in inches a tenth mm. and if you're doing 150 miles you know thousand corners and in inches mm-hmm. a tenth you know mm-hmm. it adds up nice start with autocross yeah and it also I my advice would whatever your background is and what your financial situation is might flavor the advice but for most of us that don't have the silver spoon, and we just want to go play, and we want to be the best we can. I think that
1: it's worthwhile. It's very worthwhile. The is good for kind of tune-ups and touch-ups, just getting yeah. time. Well, practicing. if you're trying to learn how to set a car up,
2: it's really hard in, in like a rallycross environment because the 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 earth is so dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like you can make a run change your car, come out, now there's a new rut or different rut or cones been moved because of a rut and now you may not get the feedback you wanted and like with pavement, the the ground doesn't change and if you make changes, you can get real feedback on what effects those changes make and it'll help you learn how to tune your car. You can then take all that information and move it over to the dirt. You just kind of soften everything
1: up generally but all the lessons are the same. That's good. all good advice.
0: Yeah, that's
1: great advice. All right, last question. You had all the money in the world and nothing but time. What race would you go to? Oh, my God. What? Single race? A race? Yeah, pick one.
0: Uh, yeah, just...
2: Well, I've always said that my holy grail is the Dakar.
0: Yeah. Okay.
2: That's like a thousand
1: wow. races in one, though. That's cheating. <laughs> one! <laughs> Thank you for spending this time with us. It has yes. been really great. I'm sure that people learned a lot from it. Tell everyone where they can find you, aside from Googling Brian Corn Rally Mexico, which we're going to do. Um, yes. Where can people find you online?
2: Uh, find us at Lone Star Rally Cross. We have a website and Facebook. And if you want to shoot me a note, you just find me, Green Corn, on Facebook.
0: Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Brianna and can take something away from it. We have linked the Rally Mexico video she mentions in the show notes. It's definitely worth a watch. And I'll also remind you that she has rental cars. So for a fun weekend, grab a plane ticket to Austin and go racing. The best way to support the show is by sharing the episode. Take a screenshot, post it on Instagram, and tag us at M-O-D-D Racing. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for joining us. Catch you guys next time.